Hello and welcome back to another edition of From the Newsroom, the occasional podcast of the Holland Sentinel. I'm reporter Arpan Lobo, and today I'm joined, as usual, by our managing editor, Audra Gamble. Hi, Audra. Hey, Arpan. Uh, and today we're t- here to talk about, well, day one of the Democratic National Convention that took place last night, we're recording this on a Tuesday, but also kind of the convention moving forward, because there are some notable speakers there. Um, so I guess, just to start, uh, Audra, what were some kind of, uh, what were some of your big takeaways from last night's speakers, the kind of footage that was being shown, the overall message of uh, last night? Well, I mean, the the first thing that obviously stands out to everyone who, you know, tunes in is that this is not the normal convention. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think everybody's kind of favorite favorite part of the convention is when they have the the big floor of the convention hall and they have all the delegates from, you know, all the states and their crazy hats and their million buttons. And they say, you know, from the great state of Michigan, we give our delegates to blah, blah, blah. None of that is really going to happen in the same format because this is an an all-virtual convention because of the coronavirus. So they had a lot of kind of like pre-recorded clips meshed in with, you know, live streams of, of real American people just kind of hanging out in, you know, their living rooms on Zoom like we've all been doing for months now. And I mean, the, the first thing that really stuck out to me is that despite all of the challenges of putting together a a nationwide conference kind of at the drop of a hat a little bit in terms of, you know, how quickly things had to change and and the format kept switching, you know, different, different styles and whatever. There were not a ton of technology flaws. I I mean, part of it, I think (laughs) my, my amazement at that is just, you know, having been in zoom calls for, what, five months now where no one can remember how to share their screens and people don't know how to unmute themselves and all that. But for the most part, it was actually pretty smoothly run, which is kind of a Herculean effort at this point. Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, it it was definitely something to where I remember, you know, a few months ago or several months ago now, I guess, uh, before the pandemic, we, we joked that we'd take the ferry uh, from Muskegon to Milwaukee and go cover the uh, convention in person. And obviously we can't do that. But, um, you, you know, it, it's been something to kind of watch. You know, we've seen kind of like the sports leagues try to do stuff, you know, remotely like drafts and stuff. And so uh, watching uh, the Democratic National Convention take place remotely was definitely interesting. Um there were several speakers, um, a lot of notable figures, um, kind of in all different uh, facets of kind of like the, the all different pockets of the Democratic Party. Um, and, and not. There were also Republicans that spoke on, on Monday night, which, you know, definitely was a statement for the Democratic Party to make. Yeah, I, I was uh, just about to mention that uh, former Ohio Governor John Kasich uh, was actually a speaker, and he was pretty high up in the billing. Um and he is part of the kind of Democrats' appeal to um, what's kind of referred to as the pivot voter, you know, the uh, person who may have voted for Obama in 2008 and 2012 but voted Trump in 2016. Uh, the Democrats are trying to get those voters back and any other, you know, maybe kind of former Republicans or uh, kind of – I'll call them the Project Lincoln uh, Republicans, you know. Uh, there, There's a popular Twitter account um, – Project Lincoln and, and uh, kind of grifts uh, against uh, Trump and other Republicans. They also steal a lot of content, but I won't get into that now. 
Um, you sound a little salty, Art Man. Oh, well, no, I mean, it's just, you know, we're content creators, too, of a different kind. You know, it's always nice to get things credited, but I guess, yeah. you know. That, that John Kasich speech was was one of those moments where, you know, he talked about, he, you know, he opened up his, his thing and he said, we're at a crossroads, and he's standing at a literal crossroads. It was a like, bit... Like, he's on the corner of two, like, dirt roads somewhere. It was a bit much of a visual for yeah. me. It was li- laying, it on, laying it on a bit too thick, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is just, you know, when you lose that, you know, immediate response from audience interaction or things like that, I think it's kind of hard to gauge how things land a little bit when you're doing it either, you know, pre-recorded or, or via a video call. So there were a few moments Monday night where I, they were a little cringy of like, oh man, we get it. <laughs> like it's okay, you can simmer down a little on, you know, the symbolism or the whatever. But I mean, it definitely, you know, happens in every convention, but that was kind of one of those moments. I was just like, oh, you can, it's okay. You can go inside, Governor Kasich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh you know, going off of what he was actually talking about, he was trying to convey the message that uh, a potential President Biden wouldn't push the Democratic Party too far to the left, which is the fear of some voters. And that's kind of, you know, something to where, um, I mean, we even saw during the kind of debate cycles, which feel like forever ago, uh, we saw, you know, candidates like Joe Biden and some of the other moderates kind of argue that some of the other candidates would push the party too far to the left and that wouldn't build a broad enough coalition of voters to be able to win a general election. And so Kasich's message last night was kind of, okay, you know, if you're worried, don't be too worried, you know, he's not going to push us that far left. And, you know, however long that, or however well that message might have resonated, if, you know, viewers kind of stayed tuned in, um, when Senator Bernie Sanders got to spoke, they might have gotten a different message completely because uh, Sanders said Biden would be the most progressive president since FDR. So it's it's kind of a bit of a kind of, you know, crossing signals from the DNC there. So I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there definitely was not always a super consistent message throughout the night, but I, I kind of wonder if part of that is the format in which it was delivered. I mean, most of the time, you know, I can rem- remember, you know, turning into, you know, NBC, ABC, whatever, and watching the convention for a couple of hours sort of straight through with, with my family. But having it be this virtual entity, it also lends itself really well to having just little snippets being shared on social media or on, you know, campaign websites or things like that, or YouTube, you know, through these platforms, it might make more sense to have, you know, here's four minutes of Bernie Sanders talking about, you know, increasing minimum wage and all of that stuff. And the people that saw that may not also be the same people that just saw that little bit of snippet of John Kasich or of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. There's there's kind of more ability for it to be immediately shared in components rather than a whole in the way that they're sending these messages out this year, which is interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point you bring up about kind of how audience will probably tune into who they want to see rather right. than... You know, I mean, there might be people like us, and, and I I didn't watch the entire event all the way through. I went back and watched the speakers uh, this morning um, because 
uh, I mean, we, we, we can talk about kind of how the different uh, media outlets uh, kind of broadcast the event, but, you know, um, people probably just tuned into the speakers they wanted to see the most. Uh, Which, you know, for Michiganders may mean that last night they tuned in just for Governor Whitmer and then peaced out um, because she was one of the speakers last night. And we will have a couple of other Michigan speakers through when the convention ends on Thursday. Um, But it definitely is possible, you know, that people are picking and choosing much more than they would have in the past, especially when they release the schedule for all the way through Thursday of, you know, if you just want to hear Joe Biden talk on Thursday night, or you just wanted to tune in Monday night to hear Michelle Obama, you have the ability to know exactly when those people will be speaking. Yeah. And in our, in our kind of modern uh, consumption of media, I mean, we can pretty much tailor things to ourselves. There are a million different, you know, algorithms to try and get you the content you want. But as a, as a user, or in this case, a voter, you can generally, you know, kind of find what you want to find. Um, kind of going back to uh, what we brought up earlier about the way different outlets kind of covered it. So you and I had a, had a bit of a different experience on this. Um, so spoiler alert, neither of us have cable. I think we brought this up on... sorry. Yeah, I think we brought this up on, on previous podcasts, but we are kind of, you know, the, the cord cutters. Um, and right. we use logins, you know, to watch the, the content, you know, but on an app or a website. So I was watching it on the CNN Go uh, uh, Roku app, and you were watching it on ABC, correct? I was watching it on NBC, although I do want to note, for people that want to watch along in the next few days, we do have each night um, the, the DNC stream is pinned to our the front page of the Holland Sentinel website, uh, and then it disappears the next morning. So if you guys want to tune along, tune along, tune in. Uh, you can do that on the Holland Sentinel website as well. Wow, nice plug. I didn't even know that. Um, but kind of going going back to what we were talking about, so I was watching it uh, last night, and as I mentioned earlier, one of the reasons I didn't watch all the way through was b- because there were... CNN really didn't provide any punditry or analysis. It was a straight feed of Eva Longoria kind of hosting or, or moderating going through and she's talked to kind of local nurses and, and voters across the country and, you know, maybe kind of some political figures who aren't as notable or aren't notable enough to kind of get their own speaker slot. Um, and this was different from you. And when you were watching on NBC, what kind of um, programming did you get? Yeah, I, th- that part was really interesting to me because when, you know, we talked about the content of Governor Whitmer's speech, which we'll get to in a minute, I immediately responded to, to you, Arpan, you know, when we were chatting, and I said, oh, Andrea Mitchell on NBC had really good things to say about, about the speech, about Governor Whitmer's future in the Demo- Democratic Party, and you kind of were a little confused because it went immediately to the next, you know, musical act or round of normal American people, whereas on NBC, I had a little bit of commentary between the, the major speeches, and then when they have those big speakers, you know, they cut straight to the, the DNC feed. So it was interesting to see that that difference. And I did for a little bit of the night tune into NPR's feed as well, which was just kind of the straight, um, you know, DNC feed as well. So it matters a lot <laughs> which, which organization you're seeing. And, you know, maybe you don't want that commentary at all, and that's totally fine. But you kind of have to see 
which news organizations are presenting the content in different ways and, and pick what you prefer. Right, right. So you, we've brought up uh, Governor Whitmer's speech a couple different times. So what were kind of the main points or main takeaways from her from her uh, speaking uh, period? It wasn't that long of a speech, was it? Yeah, I think it was only like four and a half or five minutes, something like that. Yeah, and she, she brought up so so her, her she brought up kind of the the Trump administration's response to the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And she talked about kind of the, the perseverance of essential workers, particularly workers in the auto industry in Michigan. Um, there was also kind of one moment that went sort of viral uh, when she was waiting to speak. Um, I don't know. You know, I haven't seen the moments leading up to this, but she's just standing at the podium. Yeah, it's just kind of, you know, when they have the live feed all set up and she's waiting for the cue from the DNC of, okay, you know, we, we cut to you, you're good to go, start speaking. And she's just, you know, kind of standing at the podium trying to stay relaxed, whatever. And there's some sort of comment, you know, off camera. And then she says, it's Shark Week, and then waits a minute and then says, no, it's Shark Week expletive that we cannot say on the podcast. Yeah, she dropped a little... She she, she mouthed it. She didn't say yeah. it. I mean, you could, you could hear it, but she was like, it's Shark Week, mother effer. And, you know, right. I was um, just like, what, what, what kind of cause is that? But um, getting back to what... It was like some sort of inside joke or, you know, just trying to stay loose or whatever before her speech, but it definitely was very quickly and fairly widely shared online. <laughs> um, honestly, though, I don't really think that it was a super problematic moment for her. I think, you know, from what I've seen, the response was they all, you know, most Michiganders, I think, found it fairly endearing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't, you know, trying to say, oh, look at this, this controversial moment. To me, it was just kind of like unexpected. But kind of getting getting back to the substance of her speech, what were some things that you think, you know, and Governor Whitmer's kind of been thrust into a national stage over this year. What were kind of some of the takeaways uh, you could come away with uh, kind of watching it? Well, yeah, I mean, like you said, she, she talked a lot about the importance of the auto workers jumping into action to create not cars. <laughs> um, you know, when, when everything kind of shut down for COVID, pretty quickly there were a lot of auto workers in Michigan that retooled their skills and the, you know, factory lines that, that we have in Michigan to start pumping out personal protective equipment that became really vital. And she, you know, her, in her speech, she talked about how those auto workers jobs were, you know, she said saved by president Barack Obama and, and Joe Biden when he was vice president and that Donald Trump, you know, didn't contribute perhaps as, as much to the COVID response in Michigan as she had hoped, which, you know, we've documented pretty, consistently that that governor whitmer has been upset with with president trump's um you know name calling of her and and lack of response for requests and things like that the other thing that that stuck out you know she had such a, a small amount of time to speak but she did reference the youngest um covid victim in the state of michigan who's skylar herbert she died when she was five years old um and she's from detroit and she you know she brought up you know, just, just kind of here's the impact, you know, of coronavirus on our state. And here's this very young child who passed away, whose mother is a Detroit police officer and father is a Detroit firefighter. And, you know, she kind of 
made made the claim that these are the people's lives who, you know, we need to pay more attention to and, and provide resources for, you know, as as the coronavirus continues to exist and, and as she said that Donald Trump, you know, didn't necessarily protect as, as much as possible. Yeah, the, the kind of COVID response from the federal government will definitely be something that the Democrats and the Biden campaign will uh, look to hit, you know, uh, President Trump. Week, yeah. Yeah. Leading up to November. Um, you know, before before we get out of here, you know, one of the, the keynote speaker of the night uh, was uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama. And she, you know, I, I was scrolling through Twitter uh, during during her uh, her speech and everybody, you know, I, I did see the, oh, she should run tweets. But then I also saw a few national political reporters kind of clap back and just be like, she hates politics. She literally hates everything about politics. That's so well documented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think um, we'll be getting, you know, a candidate, uh, Michelle Obama, anytime soon. But what were some of the kind of the, the you know, notable things to take away from the from last night's keynote? You know, I, I think Michelle Obama is known for being an incredibly powerful political figure, despite not wanting to be that. <laughs> um, and she is known for making really impactful speeches. She, um, you know, was was kind of one of those pivotal moments in her her husband's campaign when she gave a, a speech at, at a previous DNC convention kind of saying, I'd like to introduce you to to our lives, to our family, to my husband. This is what we're all about. And that was very well received. So it's not necessarily surprising to me that, you know, she was the, the keynote speaker for the night. She's incredibly popular across the nation. I did think it was sort of interesting that the format in which, you know, the, the convention became allowed for the speech to feel much more personal, I think, for a lot of people than if it were just in a big crowd. You know, I, I saw a lot of, you know, people on, on social media saying it felt like she was talking just to me, like directly into my living room. And a lot of people also said that she didn't necessarily feel angry, more sorrowful, and that they felt that to be more effective. She talked a lot about you know, how disappointed she was in, in Donald Trump's response to various things going on in the country, to, to the Black Lives Matter protests across the country, to, you know, COVID, to, so, you know, a wide range of, of things over the past four years. But I think kind of the, that kicker moment where everybody kind of, you know, took, took a little gasp in was when she said that, that, Donald Trump just didn't have the ability to rise to the moment that he just couldn't be the, the president that, you know, Democrats or, or some Americans were asking him to be. And then she just, you know, very matter of factly went, it is what it is. I, I, I mean, there's at a certain point, she's like, I don't know what else to say about him. You know, <laughs> he is who he is. It is what it is. We can't, you know, change, change the circumstances of who he is. And I think that, you know, kind of matter of factness of her speech resonated with a lot of people that just feel tired, frankly. Right. And I think that that was something um, she clearly hit on was just kind of the, the, you know, like, look, we're here now. And from their point of view, they think 
they're presenting November as a choice to be, okay, four more years of this, or we can kind of get back to the way things were. Right. So we'll, we'll see how that, that uh, message kind of resonates. And, you know, I think, I think it's worth noting, um, while now in social media age, a lot of these clips will go viral and things like that, like we mentioned with Governor Whitmer's, you know, Shark Week quip. Um, but, you know, most people are watching the, the national conventions. So, you know, if you can create a, a kind of a, a viral moment, like, you know, it could be something as innocuous as, you know, Shark Week comment, or it could be, you know, that it is what it is comment from uh, Michelle Obama. Being able to kind of get that through to people that aren't watching the convention is going to be kind of key for both parties, the, the, the Democrats this week and the Republicans at the end of the month. Um, the last thing uh, we wanted to mention was that, you know, this was day one of the convention. It goes until Thursday, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. And there are a lot uh, more speakers, you know. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, if anybody's interested in, in a particular speaker, some of the highlights for, for tonight, Tuesday night, um, are um, former Secretary of State John Kerry, uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, former President Bill Clinton, and then former Second Lady proposed first lady, uh, Dr. Jill Biden. And then Wednesday, we've got Senator Elizabeth Warren, um, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Hillary Clinton is going to speak. Gabrielle Giffords is going to speak. Uh, Kamala Harris, the vice presidential nominee. And then the, the last speaker of Wednesday night will be Barack Obama. Thursday is kind of the big closeout night where everything, um, you know, leads up to the um, the presidential nomination speech from Joe Biden. But before that, you've got Senator Cory Booker, uh, former uh, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. You've got California Governor Gavin Newsom, um, three or four, I think, uh, U.S. senators. And right before Joe Biden is going to be former presidential candidate Andrew Yang. So you've got a ton of speakers packed into the next few days. If anybody wants to tune in, there's lots to see. All right. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll be, you know, doing another podcast for the rest of the Democratic convention, but we'll probably, um, when the Republicans get kind of get their uh, swing, their convention starts on August 24th, I think we'll kind of get, uh, we'll do another podcast for that. Absolutely. All right. And on that note, um, for uh, Managing Editor Audra Gamble, I am Mark Van Lobo, and this has been another edition of From the Newsroom with the Holland Sentinel. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.